Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message, which is brought to you by Pastor Todd Roberts. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. Morning, church. Good to see you this morning. Welcome to all those of you who are new, especially uh, new students who are in town. You have survived or nearly survived Freshers Week, and that is an accomplishment in and of itself. Um, Welcome to all those who are tuning in online. We are glad that you're here one way or the other. And uh, just in case you're new, a little bit about myself. Uh, I am obviously, you might be able to tell from my accent, I am not a native Sheffielder. I uh, moved here in 2007 with my wife, Lauren, and uh, we we weren't expecting to be here all that long, but we have now been here for over 14 years, and we really love living in this city. And uh, Lauren and I, we got married 19, almost 19 years ago, which is hard to believe. We have four kids, uh, ranging in age is uh, 15 down to five years old. So we have a very busy household, as you might imagine. And uh, you know, in the 15 years or so that we have been parents, uh, we have learned some important lessons about what you should and what you should not do as a parent that I'd like to share with you as we start this morning, because whether you, you know, some of you, if you've been a parent, you'll know these things already. If, you, if you're not a parent, if you're new to parenting, then, then you know, these are helpful lessons for you to just, just use my pain as your gain, all right? So, you know, one of the, th- the, the lessons that I have learned is that if you are within one mile of your teenage daughter's school, their secondary school, you should not in any way identify yourself as their parent. You should not, if you see them coming out, you should not like hold up your hand and wave and be like, hey, hey, over here, it's your dad, over here. They, they will uh, produce the opposite effect. They, they will uh, suddenly seem to be hard of hearing and seem to go the other direction instead of coming towards you. So, so if you see them there, you, you might want to avoid identifying yourself as their parents. Um, another lesson I've learned is that um, you should definitely not try to just rest your eyes for a bit if you need to do the school run in about 20 minutes' time. Because inevitably, you will fall into a coma-like sleep and when you wake up 20 minutes after you were supposed to leave the house to go do the school run, you will uh, panic and then run into your toddler's room, who is also supposed to have been taking a nap, only to discover that instead of taking a nap, he has, to his utter joy, figured out how to remove his nappy. And that uh, squishy, that warm, squishy feeling between your toes is exactly what you think it might be. And... Um, as a result, you should just, you know, probably just stay awake and rather than, uh, than, than taking that little time to rest your eyes. But um, those lessons, you know, you may have uh, experienced some of those things as a parent. But today, you know, I, I, on a more serious note, I, I've also learned what you should do as a parent. And I've learned that with my kids, more than the latest gaming system, more than a luxurious holiday, more than gifts... Or, or, or something, you know, big and extravagant, as much as they do like those things, my kids, they appreciate Lauren and I's presence. They love just to be with us. At the end of the day, that's what they want more than anything else. And for my girls, that they may not really want to be with us when we're uh, picking them up from school, necessarily. But late at night, as we're getting ready for bed, they love to just come in, sit on our bed, and talk to us and process everything that's going on in their lives. Uh, for my boys, it's all about one-on-one time with mom and dad. You know, if they can get that one-on-one time, that is, that the, the, they just love that. And for my youngest, Nate, who just turned five this past week, he, 
He not only loves to be with us, but He loves physical contact. He doesn't just want to be with us. He wants to actually have some sort of touch happening at the same time. So if you're sitting in the room, he'll come and sit on your lap. If you're, you know, often uh, he wakes up in the night, he's still at five years old, he'll come into Lauren and I's room and he'll just climb into our bed and wedge himself under our arms and go immediately to sleep. He just loves that kind of physical touch. And he also will not tolerate it if there's a, if we have divided attention. So, for example, if I have my phone out and I'm, you know, doing whatever I'm doing on my phone and he wants my attention, he will get me, he will let me know. He'll just say, Dad, look me in the eyes. Dad, look me in the eyes. It's so convicting because I'll, you know, be like, all right, this is, yeah, this is what life is. This is what I need to prioritize, not what the latest sports scores. So, as a parent, as I've realized this over the years, I've realized that I need to prioritize simply being with my kids. And that has become, you know, just, just spending time with them is far better than anything else I could do. And I bring all this up this morning not because uh, this is a parenting seminar, uh, although you can take those tips for free. Please use my pain for your gain. But I, I feel like there's a parallel between this lesson that I've learned as parents and the value of just being with our kids and how much they love that and, and our Christian life. You see, in our Christian life, our first and primary objective is to be with Jesus. It's not religious activity. It's not more Bible knowledge. It's not good works, although those are all good things, but it's being with Jesus. And as we continue in this series that we've been doing over the past few weeks on being a disciple of Jesus, it's um, Uh, I want to look more at what that means, because as we've discussed, being a disciple of Jesus is what being a Christian is all about, and and being a disciple of Jesus is really organized around three primary principles, and it's these. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. It's a really helpful way to think about the Christian life. This is what it's all about, is be with, be like, and do what He did. Be, become, and do. Being with Jesus, becoming like him, and doing the stuff that he did. And this pattern here is taken from the way discipleship worked in Jesus' time. You know, disciples, as we've talked about, they loved, or what, what they would do is they would lay down their whole life, and they would follow these rabbis. These rabbis were training them up to be, to be rabbis themselves, and so they would leave their, their home, they would leave their profession, and they would follow these rabbis around wherever they went. They were with them 24 hours a day. They would watch not only, listen not only to his teaching, but they would watch how these rabbis treated their spouses and how they raised their kids and how they interacted with the beggars on the street and the rich person in the, in the, in the, uh, in the uh, synagogue. And that's what, that's what Jesus' disciples did. They gave their lives to just follow him around. And, you know, we're only told about little pieces of their, we only get small glimpses of what that looked like in the three years that they were following Jesus as his disciples Um, in the Gospels. But actually, there was so much time that Jesus had with his disciples, you know, whether it was walking from Galilee to Jerusalem, a journey of three days, or whether it was, you know, sitting around by the campfire or, or making meals or telling stories or whatever. They got all kinds of time just simply being with Jesus. In fact, if you look in, in the Gospel of Mark, when Jesus first appoints his disciples, it says, you know, he's looking out over his disciples, and he's, he's, he's trying to figure out who the, sorry, when he appoints his apostles, he's looking out, and, he's, and he calls it to them. He says, he appointed the 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, 
and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. But I want you to notice that little phrase right in the middle there, that, that they might be with him. See, that was their first and primary goal. It's just to simply spend time with Jesus. They just simply needed to be with him, when, whatever he did, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that's what they did, be with Jesus. And it's the same for us. Our primary goal is to be a disciple, or as a disciple of Jesus, is to be with him. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about what it looks like to be with Jesus. And I want to talk about what it, what the, the, the practices that help us realize what it means to be with Jesus. Because really, it all starts here. I think so much of like the frustration and disappointment that people have in their experience with Christianity is because we skip this first step of being with Jesus, and we try to do the second two steps of, of becoming like Him and trying to do the stuff that He did. We think, well, that, you know, we, we try to rush ahead to those things, and we skip over being with Him, and as a result, it doesn't work. We find that, 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 that we struggle, it feels legalistic, it feels hard, it feels, you know, there's just no life in it. And it's because we've skipped this initial, the, the, the initial priority of just being with him. Jesus puts it this way in John 15. He says it like this. He says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot, be, cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying there that if you aren't connected to me, if you aren't abiding in me, then, then it's impossible to bear fruit. It's impossible to be transformed to look like Jesus. It's impossible to do the stuff that Jesus did. And that word remain that he uses there, it's, it's a bit of a tricky word to translate. It comes from the Greek word meaning, or the Greek word meno, and it means, has all these different definitions, to stay, to abide, to continue, dwell, endure, be present, remain, stand, tarry, all these things get at the idea. And if you kind of substitute those different translators, the different uh, 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 synonyms into that, those verses, you get a sense of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, if you will dwell in me, if you will be with me, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus is saying, look, you can, you can try, we can try our very best to be, to be Christ-like, to have the fruit of the Spirit, you know, to, to live the Christian life. But apart from him, it's, it's a dead end. And so we, instead, we've got to abide in him because that's what he's asking us to do. If we remain in him, then everything else is the overflow of that. Then we, then we bear fruit. You know, it's like, it's a beautiful metaphor, really, because if you think about like a fruit tree, it's not working hard to bear fruit. It's just the fruit is the result of being connected with the vine, right? So when we're connected with Jesus, when we know how to simply be with him, then we bear the fruit that we are, that Christianity is supposed to have in our lives. But how do we do that? How do we do that? How do we abide with Jesus? How do we be with him? I mean, maybe, you know, this might be an obvious question for you, but how do you be with Jesus when he isn't visibly present? You know, I mean, maybe if, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you probably know the answer to this question, but maybe you're new to this. How do you be with Jesus when he isn't visibly present? That's kind of a weird concept. It's kind of like saying, hey, go be with Napoleon. 
go be with Aristotle. You know, that's kind of difficult to do because they're dead, right? We can maybe go read their works. We can study their, their life stories. We can maybe go see artifacts in museums. But we can't physically be with them because they're not physically here anymore. So how do you be with Jesus in the 21st century? Is this just restricted to people that were alive when Jesus was ministering on the earth? Well, of course not. Jesus had a much bigger, much better plan than that. He wanted to minister to all nations and to all the generations to come. He wanted everyone from all nations and all the generations to come to be his disciples. And so he, he, he created, he, or his plan to do that was, was not to just physically remain present on the earth, because what would happen? You know, what if Jesus was still alive here in the 21st century? I mean, it might be nice because we could like check it out on the internet and that kind of thing, but, but we'd all, what would we want? We'd all want access to Jesus. There would be a never-ending queue outside Jesus' door. We'd want to talk to him. We'd want to ask him questions. We'd want him to heal us of our various ailments. We'd want him to heal our, our loved one who's sick. There'd be a never-ending queue, and as a result, there'd be no access to Jesus. And it'd be very hard to be his disciples. But thankfully, Jesus has a much better plan than that. And when Jesus was with his disciples, having his last meal with them at the last supper before he was crucified, he started to discuss this with them. And he started telling them, hey, I'm about to go away. Now, that must have been a really big deal to his disciples to hear that. I mean, they'd just given all of their lives to follow Jesus wherever he went. They'd sacrificed everything. They'd been with him nonstop for three years. And now he's saying, I'm leaving. I'm leaving you guys. But then you can imagine, they were disturbed. They were upset about this. But he said, listen, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't be troubled. He he put it this way. He said, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, how will he come? What's he talking about there? Is he talking about the resurrection? No, he's he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Because he goes on in verse 26, and he says this. He says, but when my father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I told you. So Jesus' plan was to be with each and and every one of us through the Holy Spirit. And what's amazing about that is that gives us access to him anytime, anywhere. And that's why he says, he says later on, he says, it's best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. He's saying, listen, I know you guys love being with me, but it's best for you and it's best for us if he leaves because then he sends the Holy Spirit. And and it's through the Holy Spirit that we have constant access, constant communion and union with Jesus. I don't know if we've really taken time to appreciate what an amazing thing that is, but it's through the Holy Spirit that we actually get to be with Jesus. It's through the Holy Spirit that, that he disciples us and makes us look like him and helps us and empowers us to do the stuff that he does. But, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a practical person. I, I want to know how to make things like this, concepts like this, real in everyday life. If, if theology doesn't have a practical application, I'm not sure how useful it is. And so my question is simply, how do we learn to be with Jesus? How do we learn how to do that? What what does that actually look like? The ultimate goal is this. It's to abide. It's to remain with him, like like we saw Jesus saying in, in John 15. It's to live in a constant awareness of Jesus all day, 
every day, whether we are going to sleep or whether we're or we're frying an egg, or whether we're hard at work, or whether we're changing our child's nappy, to live in a constant awareness, to be with Jesus all throughout our days. That is the goal. Dallas Willard, he's an author that's written a number of books on this topic, and uh, he puts it really well, and this is kind of a long quote, but bear with me. But he says this, the first and most basic thing that we can and must do is keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to Him. In the early time of practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. In other words, we get distracted. But these are habits, not the law of gravity, and can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps towards keeping God before us. Soon, our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, He will become the pole star of our inward beings. I love how he says that. If God is the longing of our souls, He'll become the pole star of our inward being. In other words, we just keep returning to God, even when we get distracted, even when when disruptive things happen. We just keep returning to God, and we abide with Him throughout the day. That's what it means to be with Jesus. But let's just be real for a second. You know, for most of us, we think, yeah, that sounds good, but that's, I mean, that's impossible. I mean, that's not where I'm at. I can't do that. That's like for the mystics. That's for the, the, the monks in monasteries. That's for the people with no responsibilities in their lives. But, but for the, the mums with small children, <laughs> we can't do that. For the doctors that have been working crazy shifts in COVID, like how are they supposed to do that? For, for students that are just surrounded by noise and activity all day long of student life, how do you abide? How do you stay connected to God? How do you be with Jesus? Well, just like any new skill, it takes practice. Learning to be with Jesus takes practice. You know, you wouldn't expect to sit down at the piano and play a concerto uh, without thousands of hours of practice beforehand, right? You would devote intentional time and practice to develop your skills so that you actually can, can sit down and do that. And, and what's impossible for you now becomes possible with repeated practice over and over again. Uh, I think there's a book, I can't remember the name of it right now, but, um, but, it, but the author's saying, I think Malcolm Gladwell talks about how if you put 10,000 hours into anything, you can become an expert at it. <laughs> so 10,000 hours of practice on the piano, and you'd be able to play Mozart or Beethoven or Bach or something like that. And it's the same in our walks with God. When we practice, we actually, what, what is impossible for us now becomes possible in the future. So how do we practice learning to be with Jesus? What does that actually look like? Well, just as if you wanted to learn to play the piano, you'd have to, you know, carve out time to actually play the piano, right? You'd have to carve out time to practice every day. But if you want to learn to be with Jesus, you have to, you, you have to make space in your life to be with Him. You have to make space It doesn't just happen automatically. You have to make space in your life for it. It's not just a nice concept. You have to create space where you can, as Willard said, intentionally 
practice the presence of God. And we do that naturally, right? You know, with, with people that we love, we carve out space for them. I heard somebody say once that love is spelled T-I-M-E. And we do that, right? You know, he's saying that, that, that we spend time for, we make time for the people that we love and delight in. And so, in my relationship with Lauren, if I, you know, we, we, make all, we make time every day. Some of it is, you know, really fun for us. We get to go out for date night, or maybe we get a weekend away or something like that. Or, you know, sometimes it's not so exciting, but every day we spend time talking and, and, and finding out what's going on in each other's lives. We make space for each other. And it's the same in our relationship with Jesus. We have to carve out space in our lives and give Him undivided focus. And there's no shortcuts to this. You can't shortcut this. You, you have to learn to spend time with Him if you're going to grow in your relationship with Him, if you're going to learn how to simply be with Him. And so what I want to suggest is that we spend intentional time with Jesus every day. I mean, that, again, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you're probably well aware of this. You know, we've heard it talked about like quiet times or morning devotionals or time with Jesus, whatever you want to call it. What I've noticed over the years is that the people that I, I see really love God, that really seem to be alive in their faith, that, that are the most godly people, they consistently spend time with God every day. It's the common denominator in their lives for every Christian, for, for any effective Christian I've known. The opposite is also true. If you're struggling in your faith, that's not the only reason, but, but usually the first thing to go is this intentional time with God. We get busy, we get stressed, we get disappointed, and suddenly we start to have distance with God and we, we, we quit spending time with Him. And that causes that, that sense of connection to, to be severed. So what does time with Jesus look like? How do we do this? Like, how do you spend time with somebody that you, you, you can't see? Well, there's lots of different ways that things that we could talk about. We could talk about worship. We could talk about prayer. We could talk about uh, journaling. We could talk about reading and meditating on the scriptures, and those are all good things. But how we spend, I don't want to get hung up on the mechanics today because, first of all, there is no perfect way to do this. It's, it's uniquely, ta- it needs to be uniquely tailored to your personality and how you're wired and your stage of life. I mean, uh, spending time with Jesus is going to look very different for the mother of small children than it will for the uh, student or the man in his 60s. It's just going to look different depending on, on how you're wired and your stage of life. But what I want us to be clear about is the goal. The goal is always the same. And the goal of spending time with Jesus is connection. You don't have time with God where you're just trying to tick off a, a task list, you know, like, I got to get through my Bible reading. In fact, you know, a lot of people, they like to read through the Bible in a year, and that, if that works for you, that's great. For me personally, I can't do that without it becoming a checklist. You know, okay, I got to get this done, I got to get this done, I got to get this done, and boom. And it, and it suddenly becomes more about getting my task done than actually connecting with God. So I read the Bible, but, but I just go at my own pace, <laughs> and, I, and I, I just let it sink in. I want to let my heart connect with what I'm reading. And so the goal of spending time with God is connection, not just a routine, not just a ritual. Sometimes those can be helpful in getting us there. Like I pretty much use the same prayer structure every day, and that does help me to connect with God. But if I'm not connecting with Him, if my heart doesn't feel engaged with God in some way, then I've missed the goal. The goal is connection. 
But if there's one practice that I want to focus on today or that's really going to help us in learning how to be with Jesus, um, one practice that I feel like is, is particularly important for us in the 21st century, it's silence and stillness. We don't talk about that much in the church these days. It's kind of a lost art, and that's because of our culture. You know, our culture loves noise. It loves activity. And now with our phones, I mean, we can be listening to something all the time. Like, I'm routinely, it drives my family nuts because I'm always listening to podcasts on 1.5 or 2, two, uh, two times speed so I can get through them quicker, you know? Um, does anybody do that? Anybody listen to th- podcasts all the time? That's, that's what I do. And, and I can constantly fill my, my life with noise and information, and I might be listening to sermons. I might be listening to great stuff. But the problem is that there's never, it never stops. And, and let me just state the obvious here. Our, our lives, they're filled with noise, and they're filled with busyness. And we're immersed in a culture that is amazing at keeping us distracted and occupying our minds with the trivial. And suddenly the noise of the world just drowns out the whispers of God. And the antidote to that is silence and stillness. (laughs) It's a form of fasting if you think about it. It, You're fasting from the noise and the activity, and you're just learning to be still and allow your heart to connect with God. Again, Dallas Willard puts it this way. He says, being alone and being quiet for lengthy periods of time for most people, are for most people the only way they can take the body and the soul out of the circuits of sin and allow them to find a new habitual orientation in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, there's something about silence and stillness that is so countercultural that it, that it just stops all of our frenetic activity and it causes us to, to actually just, it just leaves us in this raw and vulnerable place before God. And that's why sometimes silence and stillness can be kind of scary. It can be kind of intimidating. We don't want to do it. But it's in that place that we learn to simply be with Jesus. And again, I know this might feel impossible for some of you, especially mothers with young children. It might feel like, how can I be silent and still? I've got like kids hanging off of me. And, and that, you know, grace, grace to you. Like, this is a different season for you. You're just learning how to connect with God in other ways. But for most of us, we're not in that season. And for most of us, I really want to encourage you to carve out space to be silent and still and just be with God. I shared the story earlier this year, but uh, in May, I'd just come back from the United States. My father had unexpectedly passed away around Easter, and um, I'd just come back from the funeral, and I was doing my morning prayer time. And to be honest with you, I was doing what I said not to do. I was just kind of going through the motions. And I'm just going through my normal prayer routine, and I felt like the Lord just said to me, just stop. And it kind of caught me off guard. I was like, whoa, you want me to stop praying? What's happening? And he said, I want you to just be still right now. I want you to just receive from me. I don't need you to just go through your prayer routine. I need to minister to you in your grief. And that began a journey for me of learning how to be still in God's presence. And practically what that looks like for me right now is is I'm taking about 10 minutes. It's just 10 minutes to start my day. And I try to make it the first thing that I do. I don't always execute that as as well as I should. but, But I just simply get up, and it's not really a prayer time. 
I make my coffee and I sit down and I just simply try to be with Jesus for 10 minutes. And I, and, and I get easily distracted, so I'll just focus on my breath. And when I inhale, I'm just imagining that I'm inhaling the love of God. <laughs> and then I exhale. And I'm inhaling the love of God. And then I exhale. And as I do that, well, first of all, I should say, as I do that, it's hard. Uh, initially, there's something in me that squirms and fidgets and wants to do anything but being still. And you got to just push through that. It doesn't take long, and the more you practice it, the easier it gets. But, but in learning how to be still, what happens is that my heart just kind of settles. And, and I, I'm, all the stress and all the, the things that I'm carrying that I don't even realize just begin to lift off of me. The other thing about it is that it helps orient me to the love of God. I mean, how often do you just let God love you? <laughs> how often do you let Him just, how often do you just bask and, and, and simply receive the love of God? We don't do that. We, you know, we, we talk to God about what we need, what we're concerned about, what we're angry about, what we're afraid of. We, we worship, we do all these things, but how often do you simply receive the love of God for yourself? Sometimes we just need to receive it. And it's not all that exciting. I mean, there's, there's usually, it's just about calming down, slowing down, and then I can start to engage with him in prayer and doing some of those other things. But if I could do one thing through my day right now, it's that, being silent and being still with God. There's a great story about Mother Teresa. She was being interviewed by the famous American news anchor, Dan Rather, uh, and he was asking her questions about her life, and he said, so, so what do you say to God when you pray? And she looked at him, kind of a quizzical look on her face, and said, nothing. I listen. And he didn't really know what to do with that. And so he said, well, what does God say? And she said, nothing. He just listens. And he didn't know what to do with that. He had this confused look on his face, and she saw it, and she said, and if you don't understand that, I don't know how to explain it to you. And what she was talking about here is this exchange that happens when we get silent and we get still and we just learn to be with Jesus. There's an exchange that happens that doesn't require words. I mean, sometimes God is purposefully silent in order to just let us absorb the, the life of God, the presence of God. Sometimes we just simply sit with Him, and as we are just with Him, He comes and He ministers to our souls. And, and we may not hear words. We may not hear things from, that He's saying. Sometimes He will speak something, but oftentimes it's just about being together. So I want to encourage you to take this week, I want you to set aside five minutes, ideally around the beginning of your day, and just be silent and still. Just invite, just say, Holy Spirit, come. <laughs> I just want to be with you right now. And then just pause. And yes, your thoughts will drift. Mine do. But that's okay. Just bring them back to God. Remember, this takes practice. And when something that you're worried about comes up, just give that to Him. Surrender it to Him. Take the time to just simply be with Him. And there's so much more we could talk about in this. You know, we could talk about Sabbath. We could talk about fasting. We could talk about prayer. We could talk about uh, uh, meditating and reading, on, reading the Scripture. But I think for us this week, as I've been praying about what to share this morning, I, I just feel like God wants us to learn how to just simply be with Him by just being silent, being still. 
And I want to encourage you this week to carve out some of that time. Maybe it's 10 minutes a day. All of us can find 10 minutes somewhere. Maybe you need to just take a break at lunch at work and just go be by yourself for a minute and simply be with God. We can all do this. So look at your diary. Figure out when can I do this. And, you know, it's better to do a little bit every day than say, I'm going to spend two hours with God and then only do it once every two weeks. (laughs) I've done that. So let there be some space for you to just be with Jesus because it's when we are with him, when we have that connection, when we learn how to be with him, then we bear fruit. Then we become like him. Then we get to do the stuff that he did. So to close today, we're going to practice this for just a few moments ourselves, and we're going to take communion together. Now, communion has been a tool that Christians throughout the centuries have used to uh, connect with the presence of Jesus. There's something about it that, that if we do it intentionally, we actually, you know, we, as we take these symbols of the body and the blood of Jesus, it helps us be with Him. It helps us connect to Him. So we're going to take communion together, and we're going to do it in such a way that, that we're actually going to pause and give some silence and stillness, and it's going to feel awkward. I'll just warn you about that right now. But don't worry, I'm not going to let it go on for a long time. But I just want you to simply receive the love of God this morning because He loves you. And He wants you to know it. He wants you to be refreshed and renewed in His love. So under your seats, you'll find a uh, little packet. Lauren, can you hand me one there? Thank you. Find one of these. And uh, if you'll peel off the top layer, you get access to the little wafer that's there. So go ahead and do that now. And you can take the wafer in your hand. And the scriptures say this, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. Let's take the bread. And now as you are just chewing, (laughs) I want you to just close your eyes. And we're just going to pause here for just a moment and receive the love of God. And you can meditate on the one who, whose body was broken for you. carries on and it says in the same way he took the cup of wine after supper saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood do this 
to remember me as often as you drink it. So let's take the cup and we'll pause once again to think about the blood that was shed for you and I for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus, we thank you that you have not left us as orphans, that you have sent the Holy Spirit. Teach us how to be with you, Lord. Teach us how to fast from all the activity, all the noise, and learn to simply be in your presence. Lord, I pray that for every person here, every person watching online, that your presence would be a safe place for us presence would be a delight and a source of strength. And God, I pray that we'd be people that, that carve out the time to be with you every day. And that we would be able to say with the psalmist, in your presence is fullness of joy. Jesus, we love you. We honor you this morning as our Savior, as our Lord, as our friend. Amen. Thank you for listening today. To listen to more messages like this one, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast. We are looking forward to seeing you soon.